Well, hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver, where we look at current events and culture, politics, spirituality, all of it, as if human consciousness and culture were evolving. And not just evolving, but evolving into ever greater stages of goodness, truth, and beauty. That's sort of the main thesis of integral thinking. Now, the, there is a slight buzzkill, <laughs> and that is that this goodness, truth, and beauty are evolving in an energetic polarity with their opposites. So goodness manifests in a certain kind of tension with badness, and truth evolves with untruth. And beauty manifests in a way that is in a dialectic opposition to ugliness. Uh, and that's a long story, but I just want to lay out that much of an integral worldview and an integral lens because I want to use that lens to talk about something new that is manifesting in the world. And, um, and that is the phenomena of Jordan Peterson as an emergent public intellectual that is, uh, you know, really getting a lot of attention. And I've got a lot of requests from people to um, talk about Jordan Peterson to try to put him in an integral context. And I also assume that I will be having people watch this who coming in more from the Jordan Peterson side of the street and may not know much about integral. So I'm going to try to do both as best I can. So first, let me just start with a, um, just a quick sort of synopsis of, of who he is and, and why he is getting so much attention. Uh, first of all, he's a professor. He was a professor at Harvard. He's a professor at the University of Toronto in Canada. And um, his new home is really YouTube at this point and also the publishing industry. He's written a new bestseller called 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote for Chaos, which is number one on bestseller lists across the developed world. I think it's up to 600,000 copies now. And at YouTube, his videos have attracted, you know, I've heard estimates from 40 million to 200 million views, uh, but a lot at any rate. And he has been commented on in all the magazines and the commentators and me now. And, um, and he's worthy. He's, he's very interesting. And he's bringing on something really new that I think is evolutionarily potent. And I got to say that, you know, he's hitting a nerve in the culture. And we're, as, as evolutionaries, we're always interested in what's hitting a nerve in the culture. Uh, and I have to say that he's hit a nerve in me. I, I really like the guy. I feel like he's doing God's work. And he is a fighter. And in, in, in that comes in handy when, you know, so much of evolution is about how we fight our way forward. We, the other F word, our way forward too, uh, but that's another story for another podcast. But he's a fighter. And, um, and I have to say, just to sort of cut to the chase, that I do, th <laughs> I do think he's a Sandwich or too short of an integral picnic, but um, you know that doesn't mean he's not contributing to cultural evolution, and um, and maybe we can set him straight here. So, anyway, what got Jordan Peterson launched, and 
uh, let's remember that he was a virtual unknown a year and a half ago. It was September 2016, so whatever that is, 18, 19 months ago. And this is, you know, Hillary and Trump coming down the wire in this election and all the attentions there when this, you know, semi-obscure professor at University of Toronto publishes a YouTube of a lecture. He just videotaped his lecture where he claimed that a newly passed law in Canada which adds gender identity to the civil rights code and makes it illegal to discriminate against transgendered people. Uh, And this new code uh, includes a requirement to use non-binary pronouns when, you know, with transgendered people. And in his video, he argued in in this lecture, he argued that this amounted to compelled speech, uh, an infringement on his freedom of speech, and he refused to do it. And so I'm going to play just a taste of this particular YouTube and uh, where he sort of just explains the gist of his argument. See, okay, so this is the scenario I've been running through my head. I can envision a student or a colleague insisting that I call, call them using gender-neutral pronouns, G, Z-H-E, or Z-H-E for you Americans, G or Zer, I think it is. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I think it's manipulative. I, I, and I don't, I, don't, um, I don't recognize another person's right to determine what pronouns I use to address them. I won't do it. Now, again, I think that uh, because of these new laws, the, and, and, that, that, that my decision might be illegal. And maybe it's even a decision of hate. But I'm not doing it. I think that those gender-neutral pronouns are politically motivated. I think they're connected to an entire underground apparatus of political motivations, radical left political motivations. And I think uttering those words makes me a tool of those motivations. And I'm going to try to be a tool of my own motivations as clearly as I can articulate them and not the mouthpiece of some murderous ideology. And so there, you hear... um, terms like radical left, murderous ideology at the end, and he's not going to be a part of this big underground ideology that, um, you know, what he's talking about here are these hideous movements of the mid-20th century, collectivism, Marxism, Maoism, fascism. And, um, and that's Peterson's story. That's his worldview, is that the, the West, that Western culture, rose out of barbarism because of Christianity. And the reason that Christianity was so potent in doing that is because it recognizes the sanctity of the individual. And this is a big deal for Peterson. And this idea of the individual, which is where all creativity and morality resides, uh, that sets off this virtual cycle that results in the triumph of Western culture in terms of all of the gifts of modernity, freedom, democracy, material wealth and decency, doubled lifespans, all of that good stuff. But that there's a double-edged sword here and that 
as we lose our religion, which is what science and technology and modernity also does, it undermines religion. It tries to wring the superstition out of the system. Uh, that we're drawn then, uh, because we're bereft of meaning, we're drawn to these great secular murderous ideologies of the 20th century, that we just talked about, all of which are a disaster. And all of which have been defeated for now, and World War II was decisive in that, but they are rising again in the form of a radical left with an agenda to supplant Western civilization with an updated ideology of leftism, but you know, still basically tied to those uh, ideologies of identity politics, moral relativism, multiculturalism. This is the updated version, but it is a wrong turn in society and a, re and a return to collective tribal politics that have been disastrous in the past. So that's, you know, the, the, in a nutshell, what uh, Peterson sees. So here's the difference between what he sees and what integral sees. And, and here's what integral theory sees, which is that there is a natural evolution of cultures and also individual consciousness that have moved through several stages of development. And there's three that are currently dominating the scene, particularly in the developed world. And they are all struggling for supremacy. And this is the culture war. And these three stages are traditionalism. That is the uh, uh, you know, social conservatives, religious people, patriotic, nationalistic, ethnocentric. Uh, these are the people who are in the... Um, in America, at least, uh, the, a lot of the hardcore Trump supporters, not all of them by any means, but that's where the center of gravity is. Then there's the modern uh, stage of development, which came online about, you know, 500 years ago and with the scientific revolution and then the Enlightenment. And uh, again, Peterson traces its roots back to Christianity uh, but there, there's a rationality that comes online, uh, and a secularism, actually. Uh, Achievement-oriented, um, pragmatic. It's the home of science and technology, and it is responsible for this great flourishing of humanity where we have created the modern world. Not without its problems. All of these stages have problems, but they also have great benefits. And then there's the third stage. Uh, that's online currently, and that's post-modernity. And this is the worldview that is multicultural. It's world-centric. It, it finds patriotism and religion a little embarrassing and contracted, and, and they see all, it sees all the problems. Every stage sees the problems of the previous one. That's one of the reasons they evolve into a new stage. They're tired of it. They're bored with it. And actually, the truth is they've installed the best parts of it. Uh, even though they would not admit it. Uh, but at any rate, the, the, this is the, the post-modernity is also the home of progressive politics uh, around civil rights, the sexual revolution, feminism, gay rights, animal rights, uh, ecology. They're the people who are concerned about global warming and so forth. And uh, as I said, every stage has its, what Ken Wilber refers to as its dignities and its disasters. 
And uh, and the disaster is always some form of totalitarianism. I mean, every each of these stages thinks that it's the only one that has it right, and the other ones have it wrong. So traditionalism thinks that the world would be best if everybody became whatever religion you are, Christian or Muslim or Buddhist or whatever it might be. And, and also very, you know, be, be, be very culturally ethnocentric. Um, and it has its zealots and fanatics. I mean, do we really have to, you know, talk about religious fanatics? It's the world has been plagued with them. So that's the totalitarian, totalitarian side of traditionalism. Modernity also has this idea that the world will be set right when everybody becomes rational logical, and we leave all of the animal spirits and superstitions behind, all the mythology, all of that, all the cruelties of pre-modernity are left behind. And, and they also have their fanatics, if you will. And these are the, what we call the materialists, the people who think that consciousness is reducible to the brain, uh, that, that, that there's no free will or interiority or spiritual life. These are all subjective um, illusions of basically exterior of atoms and cells and molecules and synapses and that sort of thing. And Peterson opposes this ideology of materialism. And he's had some very interesting talks with Sam Harris, sort of interesting, sort of frustrating too, in a way, but uh, he's about to, um, a debate or have a discussion with Steve, Steven Pinker, who's also a materialist. And, uh, but I love what Peterson says. He says, I see no reason why dead matter should have ontological superiority to living spirit. And, and I would agree with that. And so that's, a, um, I think, a tonic to the zealots of modernity. And, of course, then postmodernity comes in, and it has this idea of, you know, think of the lyrics of the of the song Imagine, that we're post-religion, we're post-country, it's world-centric. Imagine all the people living in their lives in peace. And um, But in order to get there, we have to dismantle all of the power dynamics of history. And that's how they see history, as basically a series of dominator hierarchies, where, you know, the chief of which is the white Western patriarchy, which is, has an um, illegitimate hegemony on the world. And they have their zealots and fanatics, too, who believe that Western civilization is a criminal enterprise and needs to be, you know, uh, dismantled, basically. So that's an, an integral view. And we could even say that there's stages that are in either side of these three stages. And there's a new stage that this is the claim of integral theory, that there's a new stage that is arising out of postmodernity. It's the post-postmodern stage. And we call it integral because it integrates the best of all previous stages. And it holds paradox. It values science and spirit sees culture and consciousness as evolving. Uh, it's everybody's friend and nobody's fool. 
And I, I like that. Uh, but mainly it, it tries to integrate the, um, the, the best of all the previous stages. So it wants the sensitivity of post-modernity. It wants the casting off of dominator hierarchies that post-modernity wants. It wants this idea of freedom, of expression and thought, of achievement, of growth, of, ex- of self-expression, of being all that you can be that comes with modernity. And then it also wants the values of traditionalism, order, dignity, self-discipline, uh, responsibility to self and family and community and to others, uh, faith in a higher order. Uh, and so that's what Integral tries to do, is to you know, integrate these things. And um, that's why we call it integral. <laughs> but um, what it doesn't do is believe that postmodernity is a wrong turn in the evolutionary sequence. It believes that postmodernity is a appropriate and, and, and just as all previous stages, it is a radically different new stage of human development that has its amazing insights of, you know, world centrism, you know, post ideological, the, 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 the dismantling of these great narratives of history. Uh, and it also has its downside where it wants to reduce everything into a flat, relative, meaningless, um, you know, uh, flatland is what we call it at any rate. So, so that's the, that's the integral view. And so let's look and see where does Jordan Peterson, uh, you know, where does he live in this schema of development? So we've already established that he is in opposition to postmodernity. Uh, the good side is he's opposed to the fanatics of postmodernity. The downside is that he uh, has not differentiated that. So he has sort of a blanket opposition that gets very confusing to people, I think. Uh, by the way, postmodernity progressives hate him right back. <laughs> you know, they, they try to tar him with his worst adherence. The, you know, these alt-right guys are, are sort of big on Peterson. They show up and protest his talks and all of that stuff, which all makes for, you know, good YouTube. And, uh, and, he, and he works it. He, he's, he's not afraid. He's a, he's a fighter. They're fighters. And, you know, from an integral point of view, we do recognize that evolution happens. Evolution is red and tooth and claw, as they say. And that's one of the ways we fight our way forward. But I would also point out that Jordan Peterson is actually – de facto progressive postmodern himself, um, in an adequate way at least. Uh, and, and here's a couple reasons I would, I would say that. One is he's a psychologist, and uh, psychology is a green science in a way. It, it, when we move into postmodernity, we get really interested in our own interiority. I was way more interested in my interiority than my parents were interested in theirs, for instance. And, you know, the idea of the unconscious comes online. Uh, The Jungian archetypes, he's a big fan of Freud and Jung. He has a a big download of all of this. So he's involved in it. 
Also, he is very sensitive. Uh, it's funny. He's, he's very emotional. And he um, it, it does these YouTubes where he cries. And, um, and, and I was going to show you one. There's this one letter to the world that he did uh, over New Year's. And he can barely finish it because of his uh, crying. And I just, it was just felt a little maudlin. It's, it's online. You can see it. Uh, I don't know. I just, all those emotions make me nervous. But at any rate, I, I will note that modernists don't do that. Traditionalists do, but modernists don't. And so he, he has a sort of a, that sensitivity that, um, you know, in postmodernity often is used to trump facts and arguments. Anyway. So he sees himself as being what he calls a classic liberal. And, uh, and I'll, I'm going to play a little piece where he talks about that. Uh, and this is from a, a well-known interview that he, it, what is it? It's, I see 2,800,000 views. This is a very seminal interview he had with Joe Rogan on the Joe Rogan experience. And so I'm going to share that. And he's going to talk about his defense of the left. You might say, well, why is the left wing necessary? Let, let's, let's put it that way. And so, and then a subset of that would be, well, why is the left wing attractive? Well, the left wing is necessary because inequality does spiral out of control. And so there has to be a political voice for the dispossessed. And you, you don't want people to stack up at zero, you know, where they can't play the game at all. It's a bad idea. Not only do you not, if people stack up at zero, they're too poor to get ahead at all, let's say. They're too poor to open a bank account. They're too poor to buy enough food. Like they're stuck at zero and they can't get out of it. It's a really bad scene because, first of all, that's a lot of suffering. And that's not so good. Second of all, well, at least in principle, a lot of those people might be, um, what, might have something to offer the world. Or their children might. And you want to open up avenues of opportunity to them so that they can succeed, but so that everyone else can benefit from their success. So, and then the next thing is, well, if the inequality gets out of hand too much, then the whole society starts to destabilize. Because if you get enough people stacked up at zero, especially young men, you get enough young men stacked up at zero, they think, oh, to hell with it. We'll just flip the whole board over and it'll settle in a new configuration. And maybe we won't be stuck at zero in the new configuration. So it foments revolutionary thinking. So there's lots of reasons to be concerned about inequality. And so you need a voice on the left to say, look, we got to parameterize the the tendency towards inequality so that it doesn't destabilize the entire society so that it's everybody has an opportunity to advance. All right. So, you know, that is a fundamentally green point of view. Uh, a, a, and it is um, it, uh, uh, opposition to a certain kind of a modern point of view, which uh, tends to the libertarian laissez-faire uh, philosophy. Uh, he does make a case, and he's about to go into it, for the equality of opportunity, not outcome. And this is where he really moves into the modern world. So he's clearly has a foot in the modern world, too. I mean, big time. He's an academia. He's a modern guy. Uh, but he is not for the equality of outcome, where the idea is if, if there isn't a certain representation of race and, and women in a particular uh, profession, that that is, by definition, a function of discrimination and oppression. Uh, 
it may be a function of preference. It may be a function, it may be a function of history. Uh, modernity tries to uh, basically ignore the interiority and just work with the exteriors of racism, opportunity, and so forth. So, you know, that's a limit of modernity, but it's also its strength because, you know, when you're working just with what's measurable, there's a certain objectivity that comes online that helps to true up the system, and we actually want that. The other thing that is deeply modern in Jordan Peterson is his just deep uh, commitment to free speech and this idea that sovereignty lies in the heart and breast of every human being. And that's a, that's a big modern um, a realization, particularly over traditionalism, where the sovereignty lied in the uh, you know, king or queen. And so that is uh, a, a modern insight. And he, you know, you could see this, the whole thing that got him going was his rejection, his chafing against the controls on his thought and speech. And so, you know, adequately postmodern, adequately modern. So where is he in the traditional scale? And this is where his heart is, in a way. Um, Again, he rejects materialism. Uh, He has a sort of a religious disposition, even though he has sort of conflicting ideas of religion is, and is the Bible true? And, uh, and he uh, sort of, I'm actually going to talk about his um, relationship with religion later on, and I'm going to do a part two to this. Uh, But this is part one. And so I just want to say that he has sort of an ambivalence about religion in terms of it being true, that I think integral thinking would, would actually help him to integrate. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But he, um, he is um, deeply tied and deeply at home and, 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 and deeply seeing the need for classic traditional values to come back online, uh, particularly for young people and particularly for young men. And you could really see this in his book, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote for Chaos. That's the title of this book, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos. And you couldn't cram any more traditionalism into an eight-word title if you tried. Because that's really, if you look historically, that's what traditionalism does. And I'm going to share another screen here. And this is a more complete uh, description of the stages of worldview evolution. And you can see that there's a stage before traditionalism that we call the warrior stage of development. There's actually a stage before that, tribal. There's a stage before that, archaic, just to sort of round it out. There's also a stage that goes beyond integral. And there's, you know, presumably if evolution continues to continue, and why wouldn't it, there'll be many stages beyond integral. But we want to look at this warrior stage because what traditionalism does is it comes online in order to civilize the chaos of the previous stage. The warrior stage is egocentric, 
it oscillates between an indulgent indolence and a violent aggressiveness. So you can go either way. The, the idea is might is right. This is pre-truth in a way. This is pre-law. And, um, you know, this is human history for most of human history before the great axial religions came online and basically civilized that by saying that, no, it's not might is right. It's right is right. And there is a transcendent right and there is a transcendent wrong. And you want to be on the right side of the street there and on God's side. So that traditionalism civilizes these chaotic impulses. And that's also true for us as individuals. And we see that happen in children. Uh, you know, we move from the terrible twos and the terrible threes into a more civilized, you know, worldview where we want to be Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and we want to be good boys and good girls. And that, that's great. It, it tends to have a recapitulation in teenage years where there's another um, uh, sort of a, an outburst of the warrior as we're civilizing ourselves. And Peterson's thesis and the thesis of a lot of people is that a lot of young people have not had that traditional civil has not have not been civilized. Uh, so they have that indolence, they have that aggression, they have that sense of uh, entitlement or, or, or egocentrism that is, um, you know, has a lot of people, young people really stuck. And this is where Peterson is really doing God's work in giving these people a beautiful and powerful download of the, um, of the values of traditionalism. And of course, as a result, he has a lot of support from the right. He had a you know positive uh, column from Peggy Noonan and David Brooks, and uh, here's one from D Douglas Murray from the Spectator. And I think this gets to why the right loves him and why I think integralists should love him too, because this is a piece of the truth that the right has. And Murray writes. Peterson has made one of the most unpopular but vital realizations of our time, that we are creating a generation of men who, especially if they don't belong to any minority group, are without hope, foundation, or purpose. Everything in the culture insists that they are terrible. Proto-rapists when they are not rapists. Proto-racists when they are not racists. Condemned for their privilege even when they are failures and their every success dismissed as undeserved. Peterson is one of the very few to take this problem seriously and to help young people to navigate towards lives of meaning and purpose. And that is, you know, what he is overtly doing with this book, 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote for Chaos. And again, the rules. I mean, at, at traditionalism, it's about rules and about roles and about being faithful to them and being, you know, playing your role in your community and being faithful to your community and to your family and to your wife and your kids. And, um, you know, it really, young people, particularly young white guys, yes, young white guys are eating it up. And so here's the 12 rules. I'm just going to read them because they, they make a sort of a beautiful whole just in and of themselves. So here we go. Rule number one, 
Stand up straight with your shoulders back. Rule number two, treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. And I would also just say as an integral practice, let this in, you know, feel this in your own mind body and see where it makes sense or where it might, uh, you know, point out a lack or some place where you could practice in growing. All right, so stand up straight with your shoulders back. Treat yourself like someone you were responsible for helping. Number three, rule number three, make friends with people who want the best for you. Rule four, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Rule five, do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. Rule number six, set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. Rule seven, pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Rule eight, tell the truth, or at least don't lie. Rule number nine, assume that the person you are listening to might know something you don't. Rule number 10, be precise in your speech. Rule number 11, do not bother children when they are skateboarding. Rule number 12, pet a cat when you encounter one on the street. And you know, and he has a beautiful exposition of all of these and, um, you know, they all add up to, you know, often a installation of values that people either didn't get because, you know, religion and a lot of the patriotism, a lot of this stuff has been, you know, poo-pooed by the green postmodern culture. Uh, and also, in some cases, it's young people who have been raised by postmodern parents who, you know, just didn't think these values were important. And so uh, you have both of these kinds of people, the people who are just sort of culturally deprived and the, and the people who are sort of culturally deprived from, you know, a higher stage, if you will. So um, it, it's without doubt been criticized, of course. Peterson has a lot of enemies uh, from the left, mainly. And, um, and, and they either poo-poo him or they, you know, just sort of tar him with the, 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 some of the worst followers that he has. And um, here, here's a, one critique. I'm, I actually realized I didn't put down who, who wrote it, but this is from one of the book reviews. He says, imagine a Hobbesian view of existence, solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short, combined with the philosophy of Winnie the Pooh. You're braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. And I think that's actually an accurate um, uh, description of the book. Uh, Peterson does have this, uh, uh, he clearly has a well-identified idea of evil. This is also part of his traditional orientation. Good and evil are still very much um, 
uh, polarized in his mind in a way that can be integrated, and I'll get to that in part two. But he does have that. And then he also has this more modern view of you're braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, smarter than you think. You can do it. You could be all you can be. It's up to you. Uh, Self-responsibility and so forth. And I would point out that that's modern, not traditional. Traditional would say, trust God. God's braver than you believe, stronger than you think, smarter than you think. Give your life over to God. This is not that. This is more modern. So there's an integration right there. And um, and then uh, there's another critique, and again, I forgot who said it here, but uh, from the left. And he wrote, I think it was a he, self-help is all well and good for getting one's life in shape. And he considers this a self-help book, which in a sense it is. But when extrapolated to the level of national politics, the rhetoric of personal responsibility is a handy weapon for those who oppose single-payer health care, which um, actually um, Peterson does not oppose. He has a very kind of complex view of health care. So at any rate, um, one of the things that uh, Peterson defends himself with, particularly when he is considered to be the philosopher of the alt-right, is that he is actually bringing people back to the center from the alt-right. And here he is uh, on a famous interview with Vice, where he talks about this. A lot of times you talk to these young men who are sort of flirting with far-right ideologies, and you try and bring them back. Like, what, what is that process like? How do you bring someone back from the far right? Tell them a better story. What is the better story? Grow the hell up. Take your place in the world. You've got something to contribute. Make a plan. Live as an individual. Stay away from the identity politics pathology. It's just an excuse for failing to live your life in a respectable and noble manner. It's a way better story than, like, go wave your idiot far-right flag at some rally with a bunch of pasty-faced morons. What kind of pathetic behavior is that? So it's time to grow the hell up. So that is the story he has to tell. And a lot of times this is the piece that they're actually missing. So Godspeed, Jordan Peterson, with that message to that, um, to that audience. Um, so, you know, if we look at integral as being an integration of the previous stages, of the best of the previous stages, we can make a case that Jordan Peterson is, um, you know, he has a, a pretty good flex flow mind. And, and I really do like the way he, uh, despite his, uh, you know, fearlessness in terms of presenting, a, you know, a pretty extreme view of the world in a way where this post-modernity is a, you know, an evil wrong turn that he has a certain kind of humility to it and a, and, and a willingness to, to learn and grow that, um, I don't know, feels, feels good. And, and, and he also has uh, what I would consider an, uh, this, an integral sensibility that moves beyond world centrism to what we would call cosmocentrism, when we start to, to uh, sort of uh, perceive the bigger patterns that are behind the universe, one of which is evolution. You know, we had the Big Bang and it sort of evolved into us. It's like weird. And that's, you know, worth contemplating. Dirt got up and wrote poetry 
as they say. You know, that's kind of interesting. And so he has a, um, a view that becomes, I think, really inspiring when he helps people to see that they are part of this bigger pattern. And here's a piece that he did that I think expresses that very well. And this is also from, I believe, the Joe Rogan interview. The world is a lesser place if you do not reveal from within yourself what you have to reveal. And the fact that the world is a lesser place actually turns out not to be trivial. Like if you aren't everything you could be, more people will die, more people will suffer, more evil will be unconstrained, more tyranny will reign, more chaos will remain chaotic and dangerous, all of that. Do you mean this by this in the sense of like the old proverb of the wings of a butterfly fluttering become a hurricane? It's, it's, it's something similar to that, but it can even be more local. It's like your family is more messed up than it could be if you were less messed up than you are. Right. So if you just got your act together, like 10% more, your family would be 1% better. Right. It's like, well, do it. And that would ripple off into that, the well, people uh, that they uh, inter yes. interact yes. with. And, and it ripple, yes, and it ripples fast. Yes. That's the other thing that's so cool is that, like, people think, well, there's 7 billion of us, and each of us is just this separate dust moat, like floating in the cosmos. And what the hell difference does it make what you do anyways? It's like, that is not how we're connected. It's like, you're the center of a network. And you know, well, you know way more people than this. But let's say, typically, you know a you're going to know a thousand people in your life, well enough to have an impact on them. Okay. And each of those thousand people is going to know a thousand people. So you're one step from a million and two steps from a billion. And we are networked, technically. That, that's how human interactions work. And so when you do something that you shouldn't do, it's worse than you think. And when you do something that you should do, it's better than you think. So, you know, I love that. And, you know, that's starting to get in tune with a matrix of cause and effect uh, karma that uh, is uh, beyond uh, time and space. Uh, and, uh, and, and it, it is beyond uh, our normal understanding of how we're connected. And, and I really love that. So, you know, I think that uh, Peterson is adequately integral in these ways, certainly on his way, uh, maybe a little short. Uh, and the problem is that he overemphasizes the disasters of post-modernity while just sort of accepting the contributions of post-modernity without seeing them as being an, a legitimate new stage of development. And because of that, because of seeing post-modernity as a fundamental wrong turn, he's left with integrating modernity and traditionalism. Uh, you know, any new emergent spirituality has to be sort of connected to a more traditional mythological point of view. Uh, and integral thinking really resolves that because we can see that there's an integration of, um, of religion, that, of spirit that is shorn of the mythological problems uh, that uh, actually liberates uh, religion into a new bigger system. And I'm going to get into that in part two when I talk about, you know, where Peterson's misunderstanding and where he puts this artificial ceiling 
on evolution uh, and where it sort of causes him to, in my opinion, go astray. So uh, that's that for part one. <laughs> and I appreciate you paying attention. This is, you know, there's, there's a bazillion things online about Peterson. I haven't watched any number. I mean, there's, uh, there's many I haven't seen. Uh, but I, I, I watched a good bit. I read his book. Uh, but, you know, if you think I got it wrong or if there's something I'm missing, I'd love to hear from you. You can write me at jeff at dailyevolver.com. Uh, you could check out my website, dailyevolver.com. Uh, go to the theory section if you want to know more about this. I'm also live on Integral Life uh, three days a week. And, um, you know, I appreciate you uh, tuning in. So see you next time for part two. Thanks, folks. <laughs>